In the second part of our service, we're considering the visible judgment of God upon Adam and Eve. I'm calling that because of, not that we can see it with our own eyes, but it's described more externally than the invisible, which was this judgment upon them, body and soul, that came upon them the day they eat from the, ate from the forbidden tree. Um, Total depravity, total inability, the loss of original righteousness, the loss of communion with God. You can't see that, but it happened to him. The day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. But there's another form of divine judgment that comes upon them, and we can read about it in Genesis 3, verses 22 through 24. So I want to read those verses. Then the Lord God said, Behold, The man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now, lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forevermore, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, that's an interesting uh, pronouncement of judgment. It would, if we were there, we could see them all. Oh, all right, Adam, and we assume Eve with him, was driven out of the, of the garden. We could see that. It's an external kind of thing. But what's more interesting is verse 22. It's like I got a little work to do, for, don't I? Because it sounds like God's taking the medicinal and pharmaceutical view of the tree. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. Stop there. Who said, if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they'd become like God? The serpent said that. Was the serpent right? No, but God says here, behold, a man has become like one of us. One of the persons of the Godhead could be the plural there. I think it is. Does God hold the medicinal view? Sounds like it, doesn't it? Knowing good and evil, and now, lest he stretch out his hand. So he already took from the fruit, the tree that I told him not to, and he's become like like us, and he knows good and evil like we do. And now, lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life, and eat and live forever in a fallen state, or maybe take from the tree of life and be saved by virtue of the power infused in the tree because it is, after all, pharmaceutical and medicinal. Doesn't it sound that way? When you read it at face value, it sounds like God's taking the devil's view of things. I should, maybe I shouldn't call it the devil's view because good men differ on this. Some, some people, more moderns, take the, the phar- pharmaceutical view of, of the trees, so I shouldn't call it the devil's view. But it is the serpent's view. Now, how do we understand these, especially these words? They're odd, I think. Behold, 
The man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. I'm going to kick him out so that doesn't happen. I remember having a discussion with a good and godly man about 10 or 15 years, 10 years, my senior, who I love and honor and respect very much, uh, but I disagree with him. But uh, I didn't disagree at the time. I just shrugged. It was just 12, 15 years ago. And students were asking the question, did or could Adam and Eve had eaten from the tree of life before they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Now, if you take the medicinal view, the pharmaceutical view, then they, they didn't because they wouldn't have died by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you take the non-medicinal view, the right view, they could have because it was a sign signifying a quality of life that could be attained by virtue of passing the probationary period that God imposed upon Adam. But I remember he was, the, the, my friend said, no, I don't, I don't think they took because of this verse, Genesis 3.22, because that, and the whole passage there, implies that if they would have eaten from the tree of life after they died on the day in which you eat of it, you shall surely die, after they received the divine judgment of death for violating the prohibition and eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if they would have taken in that state from the tree of life, they would have been confirmed in a lost state and lived lost forever. It's like, oh, this is weird. I'm not weird. This is weird. Was the serpent right after all? Were the trees pharmaceutical? At least at face value, it seems like the serpent was right. Here's what the serpent said in verse 5. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, in the first hour, I'm saying, these are lies and deceptions. This is a cunning, crafty enemy of God and his his image bearers. He's not telling her the truth. And I think most everybody, if not everybody, agreed, yeah, this is not good. This is a liar. But when you read verse 5 and read verse 22, it seems like God's saying the devil was right. If the devil is right about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, maybe the tree of life is pharmaceutical as well. And it seems like from those words, like God's saying, well, it is. The devil was right. I hate to admit it. And the tree of life is pharmaceutical. Now, how should we take these words spoken by the Lord God? Very carefully. And we got to penetrate. we got to think. we got to contemplate. Uh, and let's help, let's let Matthew Poole help us do this. Here's Matthew Poole. Adam and Eve both are become such according to the devil's promise and their own expectation. So here's the, ver- the words again in Genesis 2. 
Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Pool. Adam and Eve both are become such according to the devil's promise and their own expectation. This is holy irony or sarcasm. See what he just did there? He said, okay, the devil's right. This is sarcasm. This is divine mockery. You say, well, that's below God. God doesn't do stuff like that. He who sits in the heavens laughs. There it is in Psalm 2. The Lord scoffs at them. This is holy irony or sarcasm. Behold, all ye angels and all the future generations of men, how the first man hath overreached and conquered us and got the divinity, and how happy he hath made himself by his rebellion. See, the, see what's going on? I think, I think he's right. He's not the only one that says this. Here's an, uh, another guy from way back when. Andrew W., we'll call him. By transgressing God's commandment and eating the forbidden fruit, they now had an experiential knowledge previously. They had a speculative knowledge of good and, and evil, as the rich have of poverty, of what good they had lost and what evil they were fallen into. Nor is this interpretation contradicted by Genesis 3.22, where the Lord says, The man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, as if man in knowledge had now become like unto God. But here, the Lord speaks ironically. Not that they had now become truly like God in knowledge, for it is not to be thought that their knowledge was increased by their sin. Isn't that interesting? Did they increase in knowledge by sinning? Well, not in content, but in the experience, yeah. For it is not to be thought that their knowledge increased by their sin, and if it were so, Satan would not have lied in promising them to be like unto God. But the Lord derides their folly which led them to such a foolish notion that they would be made like God by breaking his commandment. That's what the devil said. God's holding back something good from you. The divine beneficence, the divine benevolence, the divine goodness is actually divine stinginess. You need to eat from that thing. Trust me. I know, you know, the serpent. You need to eat from that thing and you'll be, you'll be exalted into a state of knowledge and divine-like qualities that God's going to envy. Isn't that how it happens to you? How you get tempted to sin? Same thing. Now, I think these men are right. I think this is divine irony, divine sarcasm. Um... For some of us, we're going, you mean the Bible depicts God as revealing things in a sarcastic way? 
Yes, therefore it's godlike to be sarcastic. You know? Yeah, yes. Sarcasm, right from the Bible itself. Well, yes and no. I don't think it's always necessarily sinful to use sarcasm or humor. Uh, for instance, the old word, um, kind of somewhat synonymous, facetious. Okay, if you look up, see the season, people go, well, yeah, it's using humor to get at a point. It's not necessarily a violation of the law of God. Well, here, obviously, it's not humorous in one sense for God to go over and basically take the devil's position on something, but he's doing this to prove a point. It, it ain't that way, serpent. You were wrong. You lied and you deceived them. Yeah, you won the battle, but I'm going to win the war. We're going to see this in the in the rest of the passage, the passage between uh, 22 through 24 and and uh, 15 and above. So I, I think they're right. They were Adam and Eve were deceived. At least Eve was deceived by the th- serpent to think she could better herself and by implication Adam as well, that they could, they could do a self-help program by disobeying God's prohibition. I'll get in a better state and condition and quality of life if I violate the law of God. What? That's exactly what they did, though, and they were deceived by the devil into doing that, thinking that eating from the tree would make them like God. Now, they couldn't have been more wrong, right? They were wrong. Why were they wrong? Because the devil was wrong as well. But the devil's, cra- devil's not stupid. Okay, Somehow, some way, he knew that if I can just get in there enough... Chances are, I'm going to win this first battle here in the Divine One's paradise for his image bearers. But they were way wrong. The devil won, but he was wrong. And when God kicks him out, he's, it's, a, it's a, the, the, the divine mocking is going on here. Yeah, right. You ate and look at you. You became like one of us, and I'm jealous, and you got more knowledge than I gave you at creation. You have, by virtue of eating this fruit uh, from this forbidden tree, you have exalted your created status into a better status than when you were created. And in, in order for you not to go even to a better status by eating from the pharmaceutical tree, I'm going to bar you from the garden. In quotes, you know. So I think that's the best way to understand that. Again, it's judgment. If you look at Psalm 2 that I quoted before, he in the heavens, he's in the heavens, laughs, he scoffs. It's judgment passage as well. God's, God's free to use sarcasm and irony in the context of judgment. We just got to think through and sort out what exactly is he trying to communicate here. It was judgment because they had sinned and they were now no longer able to fulfill their creation mandate and Adam's 
covenantal mandate as the head of the human race and father of the covenant of works. Because the quality of life that was offered to Adam assumed he was a sinless son of God with original righteousness and able to not sin. The day you shall eat from it, all you're going to do is sin after that. So Adam can't fulfill the the covenant of works, neither can any one of us. First of all, we're not a covenantal head. We're not, you know, it's not in Ted all die. It would have been, but uh, it's in Adam all die. He's the only federal head. Um, but, ne- but we can't as well because not only are we not federal heads, we're polluted, sinful. So he is unable to do his task, basically. And so God says, you're out. Kicks him out of the garden, protects the garden from entrance, which Adam, by the way, should have done. He should have protected the garden from allowing intruders to enter. And God says, if you won't do it, I'll stick the cherubim down there and they'll do it for a period of time because I think the garden was moved all over the place by virtue of the flood. But we need to make another observation from our passage that I read this morning. This is a sad event, uh, but this sad event, this partaking, this death that came upon them, the banishment from the Garden of Eden, the sad event comes in a context that actually has Curse motifs coming from heaven to the serpent, from heaven to the woman, from heaven, from God to the man. That's the 315 and following. That's the order. He curses the serpent, he curses the woman, he curses the man. And in this curse upon the woman, he says, upon the the serpent, he says, Genesis 315, the seed of the woman will crush the, the head of the serpent In that verse, in the midst of divine judgment upon the serpent, we actually have a ray of hope. And guess who's there listening to this? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are hearing the judgment pronounced not only upon themselves, but upon the serpent. And if Genesis 3.15 is, and I think it is, the first promise of the incarnate Son of God, Adam and Eve heard the gospel through the motif of a divine curse on the serpent. Which, you know, some people have said, this isn't gospel, this isn't good news, this is judgment. There's no such thing as good news during judgment. There's no such thing as judgment and mercy in the same... And we're going, wait a minute. While God was judging the Egyptians, he was being merciful to the Israelites. By a, while the Son of God incarnate was crying out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was procuring mercy for us. Don't tell me divine judgment and mercy don't go together sometimes in the same divine act or word being spoken. And here's what's happening there. And they would have heard this. This is why older writers think Adam and Eve are brethren in Christ. I know A.W. Pink doesn't think so. I think A.W. Pink, but A.W. Pink was a terrible churchman most of his life. Actually, not most of his life, right at the end of his life. And 
And if you read too early of his stuff, he's a hyper, all kinds of bad stuff, but forget A.W. Pink. Back to this. Adam and Eve heard it. Okay, so... They heard this judgment coming upon the serpent that had a ray of hope for man. The serpent deceived the woman and the woman is going to give birth to the serpent destroyer. Talk about, remember I've said this before, these redemptive reversals going on. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. The devil through the serpent deceived the woman. The Lord through a woman will destroy the devil. When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman. How many times have you heard that? Well, almost every week, Pastor. Thank you for remembering. Born of a woman. Where does that go back to? Well, Eve. Well, I mean, excuse me. Well, Mary. Yeah. Goes farther than Mary, doesn't it? Goes all the way back to this curse motif delivered by God to the serpent in the presence of Adam and Eve. Born of a woman, born under the law in order that he might redeem. The apostle John calls on Genesis 3.15 and 1 John 3.8, he says this, The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. It's pretty important, to before we finish Genesis 3, to remind ourselves, it's not all bleak and dark and hopeless there, okay? Something actually good and redemptive is happening. God is promising to send the incarnate Son of God, who would become man for us and for our salvation. You remember that statement, unless the Lord Jesus set them free. This is the first promise of that the Lord Jesus is going to set some free. Those coming from them by natural generation, they're all undone in sin by natural generation. Three unnaturally generated have existed on the face of the earth. Adam... Fiat, spoken word, creation, body and soul. Eve, she didn't have a father or a mother. She had a donor or, yeah, a donor. Donate me some life. God took the rib out of Adam and our Lord Jesus, right? Not naturally generated. The rest of us are naturally generated. We are hopeless and helpless unless the, unless the Lord Jesus sets us free. Uh, in Genesis 3.15, if Adam and Eve were here today and knew the contents of the entire Bible, they would say, God is promising that the Lord Jesus is going to set some people free through the curse pronounced against the serpent, and we heard it before you. Ha! You know that there are people in the Bible that are believers in Christ prior to Genesis 3.15 being written, not spoken. Okay, these are words Moses wrote that were spoken before Moses wrote them. You, you realize Moses isn't in this audience. You know, he's got his hat on 
and his reporter's pen or whatever laptop, I guess. He's not like a reporter recording things as they're going, slow down, stop, don't eat yet, i got to type this in. Okay, this is after the fact. So that the promise of the Redeemer predates the inscripturation of the promise of the Redeemer. Abraham, before or after Moses? Before. Generations before, right? When Moses ends up writing about Abraham, he's not writing about contemporary things. Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad, Jesus said. What does that mean? Abraham's our brother in Christ. He believed the promise. When was the first promise first given? Well, to Abraham. Nope. There are pre-Abrahamites before Abraham came on the scene. I think Adam and Eve and, and Abel are three of them. Enoch, there's another, and I'm sure there's others. All that to say, we don't want, I don't want to leave you on a downer on Genesis 3. I want to leave you with the gospel. And I think it's in Genesis 3, 15, and I think the rest of Scripture helps tease that out for us, which makes the entire Bible, in one sense, a footnote explaining Genesis 3, 15 for us. I think I borrowed that from Sean, who got it from somebody else. Did you hear what I just said? The entire Bible is basically a footnote explaining Genesis 3.15. If that's true, it's pretty much, I I think it is. That's huge. That would mean the entire Bible has been given to us to tell us there's a remedy for sin and to slowly but surely, in what we call in scripturated revelation, the Bible, show us the organic connection between the parts of scripture. The whole is all organically related to itself because primarily of this seed promise of the gospel in Genesis 3.15. Okay, well... I hope you leave encouraged from our consideration of the external judgment of God pronounced upon our first parents in Genesis 3. Encouraged not because of the divine judgment, but because of the divine mercy in promising the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray that you would help us Some of these things are maybe new for some, hard to think through, difficult, but not impossible. The ones that aren't true to your word, remove from our memories. The others that are, seal it to our heads and hearts so that we would live better and more humble and more grateful and more thankful um, Monday through Saturdays. We pray that you would bless as we take the supper together and ask in Jesus' name, amen.